everybody. Welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening, and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Wow. New year. Someone approached me earlier today, and they said, hindsight really is 2020. And I looked back, and I said, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's a new year. It's not 2020. And uh, this weekend, in particular, we're concluding, we're wrapping up our Wonder Series. And you may have already memorized that voiceover, but twice in that voiceover, the video we just viewed, uh, was the word restore. And that word is what our scripture just elevates to us as God's people today, restore. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a, a portion of that voiceover and listen for this word Restore. It's time to look again at the surprise of it all, at the wonder of it all, that God would enter the world in the infant Jesus to restore what was lost and reach out to us. That's wonderful. Cynicism closes the mind, but wonder restores our hearts again. Look at Christmas and let your heart say, let's all say it together. Wow. Wow. Wow, we're going to marvel at restoration. The the verbal form of uh, to restore, it means to bring back or to reinstate, to return to a former condition or to repair to the original state. So if if a coin is taken away from its rightful owner, it would be right and just to restore that coin to its owner. And And it begs the question, has anybody lost anything over the past 12 months? Is there there any need for restoration in your own life? Of course the answer is yes. And and I was trying to think of just this perfect illustration for the idea of what is meant in Scripture when God starts talking about a day is coming when I will restore you to myself. But I was left with this question, and that question is, what in the world doesn't need restoration? I mean, in all honesty, I mean, I'm looking around my life and I'm thinking, man, I can, I can surely praise God all day long for blessings just all across the board. And yet there's this real deep uh, knowledge that, yeah, restoration, we need restoration. There's, a, there's a, a, a trifle level of that. You know, my car is leaking oil on my driveway. I need to restore that. Right now it's leaking oil on the church parking lot. This is even worse. And so restoration, my, my wife and I are attempting to restore our uh, bathroom. Restoration is needed. We need to restore it to a good, uh, proper working state. Uh, what, what do you need restoration for? You know, that, those two examples are very trifle because then you get into like the, the, the real deep heart stuff, you know, the heartache stuff, the stuff that uh, wakes you up at night. Ah, I need restoration. I just, I just had that uh, nightmare or that thought came back in my head or that relationship with that person really need restoration there. Maybe it keeps you from going to sleep. You know, there's, there's just all of these multi-dimensions of restoration. And uh, we're going we're gonna to get into what kind of restoration uh, the Lord has for us today. But as we do that, we're going to listen to one of our first Pres fellows, Liza Cunningham, 
who is going to actually bring the word to us. Uh, and before she opens the word and we open the word with her, uh, we're going to pray. So let's, let's devote this time to the Lord. Father God, we give you thanks and adoration for the opportunity to come before you, to gather together, whether physically in this room or online across the screens. God, we are thankful that you continue to come to us with your word and it changes our hearts. It changes the way we live. We ask that it would be no different today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Liza Cunningham, and this is Jeremiah, verses 7 through 14. For this is what the Lord says, Sing with joy for Jacob, shout for the chief of the nations, proclaim praise and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Watch, I am going to bring them from the northern land. I will gather them from remote regions of the earth. The blind and the lame will be with them, along with those who are pregnant and those about to give birth. They will return here as a great assembly. They will come weeping, but I will bring them back with consolation. I will lead them to brooks filled with water by a smooth way where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Nations, hear the word of the Lord and tell it among the far-off coastlands. Say, the one who scattered Israel will gather him. He will watch over him as a shepherd guards his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the power of one stronger than he. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will be radiant with joy because of the Lord's goodness, because of the grain, the new wine, the fresh oil, and because of the young of the flocks and herds. Their life will be like an irrigated garden, and they will no longer grow weak from hunger. Then the young woman will rejoice with dancing, while young and old men rejoice together. I will turn their mourning into joy, give them consolation, and bring happiness out of grief. I will refresh the priests with an abundance, and my people will be satisfied with my goodness. This is the Lord's declaration. Amen. There's these foreshadowing seeds throughout that text, and we're going to pull back today. We're going to look at all of Jeremiah chapter 31, where that text comes from. We're going to see what kind of restoration does the Lord have for his people here today for us. And so to get at that, we want to see that there's different kinds of restoration. So on one hand, you had those, those first few examples I gave that was, uh, the, we'll call it small, lowercase r restorations. In, in Jeremiah, uh, that's what you would call that restoration of the land. Okay, what do we mean by that? In Jeremiah chapter 30, the chapter preceding where we are today, uh, you get this incredible declaration that a time is going to come first at tragedy. Israel, you're going to lose your land. But, but I will restore the land to you. So that was the prophecy about Babylon, Babylon coming in, taking them off. They're going to need land. But that kind of restoration, that can stand for any sort of restoration in your life uh, that is temporal, that you need the Lord to come in. You're like, yes, in this area, Clear restoration is needed. And then we get to chapter 31, where we are today, and the Lord, it's, it's God declaring this. And he's saying, there's another kind of restoration. Look at, look at verse 7. He says, this is what the Lord says, Sing with joy for Jacob, shout for the foremost of the nations, make your praises heard, and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Now, what exactly are the people to sing about? Well, it says, to save your people, to save your people. So there's all restorations in the world, and then there's this one other restoration, and that is right relationship with the Lord. 
And that's what Jeremiah 31 is all about. God says, I will make you right with me. Now, I said we're going to look at some other verses in chapter 31. And so first I want to look at verses 3 and 4, which say this. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. I will build you up again and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels, tambourines. You'll go out and you'll dance with the joyful. You're going to be rebuilt. There's restoration on the way. For those of you who know your Bible, you might be thinking, I think there was a typo there. I think maybe the pastor misread that because he said virgin Israel. That's quite kind to the nation of Israel, don't you think? Because you look back at all the prophets and you say, remember, they were quite condemning of Israel. She was not living as the people of God in spiritual fidelity. And yet here, there's this very strong language of God saying, I will make a declaration, and that declaration will be this. You, my people, are virgin Israel. How much power, how much love, how much desire does it take to say, I'm going to take this group of people who have been walking in spiritual unfaithfulness, and I am going to restore them, not just bring them back, but actually restore them, give them hearts of full faithfulness, of full purity. I want to turn briefly to the life of King David to to illustrate this further about soul restoration. So the story of David and Bathsheba is recorded in 2 Samuel 11. You can can read that later today if you'd like, but but a lot of us will know that story, and that's the story when David, uh, he, he brings Bathsheba into his courts. Bathsheba is a married woman, and he is unfaithful to her, to her husband, to the nation that he is leading, and, uh, and so you have this, this incredible, dramatic breach of character in King David. And it affects the whole nation. And then King David, uh, in Psalm 51, David writes a uh, request for forgiveness to the Lord, a, a petition, a plea. And it's so fascinating when we start talking about restoration to God and how that's different than restoration to everything else. Because listen to what King David prays. He says, against you, and he's speaking to God, against you, God, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now, on one level, this seems ridiculous, Because he's transgressed Bathsheba, left her a widow. Uh, He's violated her. Uriah is dead. Uh, There's no telling how many others died in that uh, very unrighteous decision. And then that character flaw trickles into the rest of the nation. And yet David, is it audacity that he says against you, God, and you alone? Or does David understand a truth that Scripture says again and again And again, and that is this, as the only truly righteous one, God is always the most offended party when unrighteousness is carried out. And it is with the most offended party that true restoration is needed. So, We need to be restored to God first and foremost. David knew, and this is why later he's called a man after God's own heart, that to get right with anybody, first he needed to get right with the Lord. Get right with the Lord, 
so that you can get right with your neighbor if restoration is possible at all with your neighbor. I'm thinking of Uriah, in this case, being dead. In, this, in, the, in the sin that just goes deeper and deeper, causing fragmentation across the face of the earth. But you and I, like David, we, we uh, are confronted with our own sin, and we stand before God as a sinner before the almighty, righteous, and pure King of Kings. And so this is, the, this is the part of the story. We've been talking a lot in this wonder series about the, the cynic, the cynic mindset, the cynic mentality. And this is the part where the cynic uh, likely turns away completely and says, this is ridiculous. I'm not listening to this anymore. Restoration with God, first and foremost, it can't be. Can't be. Well, I, I would plead with you that you would wait and listen to this. Don't be like, by, like Pilate before Christ who just said, are you the Messiah? And then he just turns and walks away without ever listening for a response. Verses 10 and 11 of our text say this. They say, Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel is going to gather them and will watch over them like a flock, like a shepherd watches over his flock. Can God watch over his people like a shepherd watches over a flock? Or are we at an impasse? Does sin separate us from God? Or, or is there a way to restore our relationship with God? So the cynic mind may say, we're at an impasse here. You've already said God is holy, he's righteous, he's pure. Humanity sinful, fallen. There's a gap, there's a chasm, impasse, we're done. Or is there more to the story? And I find it incredibly intriguing that 600 years after this prophecy is made, Jesus enters the scene. He stands before the religious power of the day and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who scattered Israel will gather Israel again, says the Lord. But how is he gonna do it? How, how is God, the above us God, going to meet us when we're stuck in our sin? Isn't it too late for full restoration? And then later in Jeremiah chapter 31, we find this remarkable promise from God. When in verse 31 through 34, God declares, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So in this chapter that's so thick with these promises, restoration is coming. Restoration is coming. We have to be real with ourselves about what is the restoration that is needed it's restoration from sin. It's restoration to 
God. And we, and we can't get there on our own. There's, there's this phrase that I think is, is a well-intended phrase, the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But if you were to do it, if you were to reach down in your chair right now or your sofa at home, actually bend down and start pulling on your bootstraps or your, or your ankles or whatever you've got down there, unless you, have, unless you have a floor, unless you have something else to give opposite force, you're not gonna go anywhere. And so often we... We look at our sin and we, we either uh, ignore it or we scoff at it or we say, you know what? I can actually offset that on my own. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. That is the postmodern skeptical mindset. You ignore sin by saying in your heart, I don't really see anything that needs restoring. You, you scoff it at sin by saying, I mean, okay, I mean, yes, I cheated on my spouse. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Sin's not a big deal. Or you presume you can beat it yourself by saying, you know, I'm actually a good person. I do a lot of good things. I mean, have you seen that person over there? I'm pretty good. And yet scripture, scripture is so clear on this. Scripture says, no, it is a big deal. It, 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 it's weighty. And, and you're not able to do anything about it by yourself. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I know in the preacher's handbook, it says not to quote Mike Tyson um, more than one time a year and 10 days ago, but it is a new year, right? So have you heard the one about Mike Tyson, the flight attendant? For, from what I understand, true story. Who knows? Flight attendant comes by on the flight, sees Mike. Sir, you're going to need to put your seatbelt on. Mike looks back. Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the flight attendant, and now all the eyes on the airplane, the flight attendant looks at him and says, Superman don't need no airplane. Now please put your seatbelt on so that all of these people can get to where they're going. You can pretend that it really is possible to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can pretend that you can fly but you're only fooling yourself. And at the end of the day, you need a plane to fly and you need a savior to save you from sin. And that is what Jeremiah 31 speaks right into. It says, a day is coming when I will give you a new covenant. Restoration with God is on the way. In, in verse four of our passage, the people are implore, implored to take up their uh, timbrels and to go out and dance with the joyful. So timbrel, ancient Israeli tambourine is how I understand that. And so were I to have a uh, tambourine with me that I could pick up and say, why, first prez, are you lifting a tambourine to the air? Why, why did you go through so much work to put on Wonder Village over Christmas? Why do you come in week after week after week to uh, sing together and, and to receive uh, from the word? Is it because you're trusting in chariots and horses of men? Is it, is it because you trust in the chariot that ignores sin, saying, I don't really see anything that needs restoring? Or is it because you trust in the chariot that scoffs at sin, saying, I don't think it's that serious? Or is it because you are the chariot that presumes to be good enough by thinking, well, I'm a pretty good person? Or do you lift your tambourine up high 
and you live a life worthy of the gospel because you know that your restorer lives. You know that a way has been made. You know that a path back to pure relationship with the Father has been offered to you and you've said yes by faith. And we as the worshiping community of First Prayers, we say yes, amen. That is who we are. We are the people that have received the joy of the Lord, that have been brought back together with him. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And just reading portions back of verses 31 to 34. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then finally at the very end, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Church family, I cannot help but imagine Jesus on the night he was betrayed, picking up the cup, pouring the wine, saying a new covenant is being established. And it will be for the forgiveness of sins. It was prophesied 600 years prior. It was fulfilled on that occasion and it is available to you and I today. The question is, will we walk in it? Will we accept the gift of God? Will we say, Lord, I hear you saying that you will put your law in my mind, that you will write it on my heart, that I will desire the things of heaven. I understand that the king of my heart loves me that much, that he's made a way. Our lives as witnesses must point to this reality that we have been restored. We are being restored. We are the restored people of God. So what, what, what does that look like for your own life? What does it look like to, to, to stand up and leave from this place and live your life this week as a restored child of God? I mentioned earlier that my wife and I are working on this uh, bathroom restoration project. And we have now completed phase one. Phase one was 100%. What can you guess? Demo. The fun part. But the messy part. I think there could be a spiritual correlation there. When you become a restored child of God, you start saying yes to the righteousness of heaven. But the inverse relationship is true. You start to say no to the unrighteousness of the world. So demolition, tearing down walls, doors, floors, impurities that do not belong there anymore. And to, and to take up the floor, I, I would take a wedge and hammer and break up the tile. Spiritually, that would be a painful process. There could be things in our hearts. There must be things in our hearts that have to come out so that the fruit of the Spirit can fill us. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. So I ask you, what demo do you need to do in your own heart? Or I should more rightly say, what demo ought you allow the Holy Spirit to do in your own heart so that the grace of God can continue to pour in and pour in and pour in? My prayer for you is that you would have the courage in this new year to stare your sin in its face, knowing that there is a promise at the foot of the cross where it is dealt with once and for all. It is the only place in the universe where you can put your sin and walk away from it and live forevermore. And it's freely available to all who believe. 
By faith, we walk into the promise of full restoration this new year. It is not so much a New Year's resolution as it is eternal restoration. Though I suppose if you wanted to make that your New Year's resolution, you could do worse. We're going to transition now into our time of communion. I couldn't think of a better passage right now than to lead us straight into the table. This is a table of restoration. It's the table of the new covenant promised in Jeremiah's day, fulfilled in Jesus's day, and available to you and I this day. In the triune, God invites all to come. Come with wow on your lips at the restoration offered to you by God. Knowing that to get right to God is the first step in any restoration process. Come because you know that you are a sinner and you know with joy in your heart that your Savior lives and he bids you come and receive the good graces of the King of your heart. Come every tribe and nation, know that a way has been made for you. Not just a little way, but a forever way. We're now going to prepare the elements. And if you're at home, you have your bread and your cup. For those of us in the house of worship today, we have uh, what I have started calling the five C's, the COVID conscious crinkling communion cups. And I say that with a smile on my face, but uh, you know, just like we say, no one hurts alone here at First Pres. we also like to now say no one crinkles alone. So go ahead and crinkle. Go ahead and crinkle, but hold the elements just a little while because I'm gonna try to now navigate us away from that bad humor. And I'm gonna ask us to do something much more important than preparing the elements, and that is preparing our hearts. And to do so, I'm gonna leave a little bit of silence, a time to go before the Lord, the King of your hearts, and ask him if there's anything that you need to confess right now knowing that the one you confess to forgives freely and immediately at the foot of the cross. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful church family has sown so much joy of the Lord, perseverance of faith through the last year. Lord, as we now pray together, I ask that your spirit would rest and abide on us so tangibly that you would bring together your entire body, those here in the room, those watching from wherever they're watching right now. As we pray this prayer, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. Let's continue in prayer. Lord, it is right to give you thanks and praise. Ruler, creator of the universe, you created the earth with no need for restoration. And then we sinned against you by choosing our own way. But you told us centuries before it happened that you were going to make a way of restoration and then you did it at the cross and now we can celebrate it and live into it each and every day of our life. Help us to do that 
In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the cup, pouring it, he said, this is my blood, a new covenant, and it's poured for you for the forgiveness of sin. Take this, enjoy for the forgiveness of sins. And in the same way, he took the bread and after he gave thanks, he broke it saying, this is my body. It's broken for you. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Should you be at home with a family member, I would invite you and encourage you to turn to one another and say the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And for those of you in the room, and if you find yourself physically alone right now, I ask that you remember the promise of Jesus Christ who said, I am with you always. And I would ask that you would receive these words now from me. This is the body of Christ that is broken for you. And this is the blood of Christ shed for you. After you receive the elements, I invite you to stand for our final song together. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprezcos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot